This sermon was preached at University Park Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. For more information about UPBC, visit upbchouston.org. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would, open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. Uh, we have had the privilege, and I have had the privilege, over the last few months to walk through uh, each chapter of the book of Jonah with you. And you may recall how we said from the very outset that even though there are multiple characters in this prophetic story, that when it's all said and done, it really comes down to two main characters. It comes down to Jonah and his God, to God and his prophet, Jonah. And for all of the nuggets of wisdom and spiritual insight that we can glean from this book, Perhaps that is really the main takeaway from the book. That main takeaway being that we must all contend with God. Just as Jonah in this book contends with God, we must contend with God's Word. We must contend with God's sovereign providence. We must contend with God's just judgment. We must all contend with God's salvation. We must contend with God. None of us are prophets like the prophet Jonah, but each one of us, every one of us, we have heard the Word of God. Even this morning, you have heard God's Word. Every one of us live under the sovereign providence of God every second of every day. Every one of us in our natural state, condemned in our sin under God's judgment. And every one of us is offered God's sovereign salvation. And so, like Jonah, we must contend with God this morning. In chapter 1 of Jonah, we were confronted with God, with God who is the sovereign creator of everyone and of everything and who is due our obedience And in chapter 1, we were given a picture in Jonah of our own sinful rebellion. In chapter 2, we were confronted with God, the sovereign Savior, who is due our gratitude. And in Jonah, we were given a model of prayerful thanksgiving. In chapter 3, we were confronted with God, who is merciful to even the most wicked of sinners. This God who is due our faithful repentance and our repentant faith. And in Jonah and in those wicked Ninevites, we were given examples of repentance and faith unto God. And today, this morning in Jonah chapter 4, we are confronted with God and His sovereign grace. This God who is due our faithful devotion. And yet in Jonah... We will see, Lord willing, the dark depth of our sinful hearts. This last sermon from the book of Jonah summarizes the entire book as it confronts us with the two main points of this sermon. The depth of our selfish sin and the generosity of God's sovereign grace. The depth of our selfish sin and the generosity of God's sovereign grace. And so as we come to Jonah 4 this morning, let's take a moment now and pause. And let's go to God and let's ask Him 
to open the eyes of our hearts that we would behold wonderful things in His Word. Let's pray together now. Father, we do pray that as we come to Your Word that You would whisk away the dark clouds of sin and doubt, that You would use Your Word to open the eyes of our hearts so that we may behold wonderful things in Your Word. God, we pray that You would take Your Word, plant it deep in our hearts, and by Your Holy Spirit bring forth good fruit, that we may walk in Your way and we may please You in this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hear God's Word from Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? This is God's word for you this morning. Well, first, let us consider in Jonah 4 the depth of our sinful hearts. Jonah chapter 4 explains a lot about what happened in Jonah's chap- Jonah chapters 1, 2, and 3. This scene before us in chapter 4 finally reveals for us the heart that drove Jonah to flee from God's presence to Tarshish. And it also shows us the plan that God had even in the midst of Jonah's rebellion. Chapter 4 highlights Jonah's real need and our real need. And it shows us that only God can satisfy and provide it. Chapter 4 reveals the complexity of unbelief and the darkness of sin. And it shows us the sovereign grace of God who fights against it. 
At the end of chapter 3, you may recall that God had shown great mercy to the wicked Ninevites. And remember, these Ninevites, these were Assyrians. These were enemies of God. Enemies of God's people. And God used Jonah's plain preaching of coming judgment to work in these Ninevites repentance from sin and faith unto God. And so I wonder, I wonder how you would have responded to God's great mercy on these wicked people. I wonder how I would have responded. You might expect that Jonah, the recipient of this same mercy, would have rejoiced, would have rejoiced in the midst of God's great salvation that had come upon these wicked enemies. Jonah had reason. He would have had reason enough to rejoice for the eternal joy of these Ninevites. But all the more, Jonah would have reason to rejoice that maybe now these Ninevites wouldn't be enemies of God's people anymore. Maybe Jonah could have returned to his people with the incredible news that God's glory and God's salvation was known among the Gentiles. The news that Israel needn't fear the Assyrians anymore. And instead, we read in verse 1 that this great work of God, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Jonah was angry for what happened in Nineveh. The mercy of God in chapter 3 met with the disdain of Jonah in chapter 4. Jonah hated what God had done. He hated that God would show mercy on these wicked enemies. That He would relent from judgment on a people that Jonah himself likely hated. So I wonder, I wonder how you would have responded in that situation. I wonder if you have ever been angry with what God has done for someone else. Have you ever been frustrated, annoyed, displeased exceedingly maybe with the blessings of God on someone else? Are you quick to rejoice with those who rejoice? Rejoice for the work of God in someone else's life, someone else's church, someone else's business, someone else's marriage? Or do you withhold your joy because God didn't consult you first? Maybe you think that there's a certain type of person that doesn't deserve the grace of God. You have grown accustomed that God is pleased with you, but you don't think He could possibly be pleased with that guy. You have revealed and shown that you believe the grace of God is something owed to you. It's something that's been earned by you. And you have turned the grace of God upside down. Just like Jonah. But more than that, Jonah is not just mad at what God did in Nineveh. Showing mercy to these wicked Ninevites. He's not just mad at what God did. Jonah is angry with God Himself. He is angry with God. He is displeased exceedingly with who God is 
in himself. In verse 2, Jonah's self-righteous pride bursts forth when he says to God, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious and merciful God. You know, that old saying that when someone shows you who they really are, you should believe them. Well, God had shown Himself faithful to Israel, faithful to Jonah, shown Himself to be gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is, in fact, who God is. It's Jonah is not telling a lie about who God is when he says in verse 2, I knew that you're gracious. I knew that you're merciful. I know that you're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is, in fact, who God is even today. And who God is in His very character made Jonah exceedingly displeased, exceedingly angry. Jonah illustrates well for us that that sin itself is fundamentally self-righteous. That sin is fundamentally self-centered. And that sin is fundamentally self-defeating. Jonah's disdain for God's mercy upon the Ninevites, his disdain for the Ninevites' repentance and faith was rooted in his own self-righteousness. How could God take words of judgment on these wicked Gentiles and use them for the salvation of these enemies? Doesn't God realize salvation belongs to Israel? That God's covenant promise is for Israel? And so Jonah... Jonah says these things back to God, but then he goes out of the city in verse 5 to see just what exactly will come of those wicked Gentiles. Perhaps their repentance wasn't genuine. Perhaps their faith wasn't true. Maybe God will bring judgment on them yet. Have you ever thought this way about a recent convert in your own life? That you were surprised that God would save that person? What doubt and distrust we have in God. Brothers and sisters, do you, do we have the spirit of Jonah? God forbid that we would ever disdain the work of God. That somehow we might believe that God's grace is for us, but not for them. Let us never grow weary, brothers and sisters, in rejoicing at the glory that God's grace is free, that the arm of the Lord is not too short to save any sinner, for we know it's even saved you and me. Jonah's disdain for God's work was self-righteous, and Jonah's disdain for God himself was self-centered. Five times in verse 2, Jonah refers to himself. Did you see that in verse 2? It displeased Jonah exceedingly. Verse 1, he was angry. In his anger, he prayed to the Lord in this very uh, pious and self-righteous way, I might add, and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I know, I knew that you are a gracious and good God. Five times in verse Two, Jonah, Jonah explains to God about what God should and shouldn't be doing. Jonah didn't stay in Nineveh to minister to these new converts. No, Jonah went out. He went out of the city, built himself a booth, waited for the judgment 
that he was certain they deserved even after they had repented and believed. And then God came to him in his self-centeredness and God gifted him even more shade than Jonah himself had made. And you'll see in verse 6 that God's gift of shade, well, it made Jonah exceedingly glad because he was comfortable now. Then Jonah's comfort was providentially interrupted by God in verses 7 and 8 as he sends the worm to take away the shade. He sends the scorching east wind. Notice that throughout Jonah, God is the one who is appointing both the means and the ends to accomplish his plan. And even here, God appointed Jonah's comfort and he also appointed Jonah's discipline. And so we just sung, whatever my God ordains is right. His holy will abideth. My Father's care is round me there, even in the midst of sorrow and pain. And so Jonah has an opportunity here to come out of himself and to repent of his own sin and to trust in the God who is caring well for him and disciplining him. In it all, though, we see from chapter 1 to chapter 4 that Jonah's prideful self is seeking to reign supreme over God. That Jonah is showing contempt when God dare contend with Jonah. We must contend with God, but in our contending with God, we must always remember that God is sovereignly contending with us. And so friend, I simply wonder, I wonder if you disdain God. Do you hold God in contempt? Do you kick against the goads of God's goodness and His mercy and His grace? Do you kick against the goads of God's discipline to make you more like Christ? Trying to keep Him at arm's length so that you can go about your own life under the delusion that you are the captain of your own fate. For some of you, you might acknowledge God. You may give a hat tip to God. You may know there's a God. But I wonder if you hold His sovereignty in contempt. Do you hold His attributes in contempt? Do you know there's a God, but you don't especially like Him? Maybe you want salvation to belong to you instead of salvation belonging to the Lord. And for some of us, we grow bitter toward God. We know who God is. We know His attributes. Maybe we've even been in church for a long time. And at the end of it, we don't really understand why God would do what He has done or to be who He is. And so we grow bitter toward His frowning providences in our life, believing that if only He had listened to us, things would go better. Loved ones in Christ, we should labor together as a church to make ourselves exceedingly glad, not in ourselves, exceedingly glad, not in our history with God or the things that have come before with God, but exceedingly glad in God Himself. 
We should labor together to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. His strange providence at times. Knowing that God will work all things together for the good of those who love Him. We should be submitted, laboring together to submit ourselves to His sovereign will. Ready and willing to do all that God commands. Let us set aside the spirit of Jonah and walk with the Spirit of God in these ways. Jonah is self-righteous. Jonah is self-centered. And Jonah's sin is self-defeating. Jonah's sin leads him to believe that death is better than life. Jonah's disdain for God is so intense that three times in this chapter, one for each day he spent in the belly of that great fish, the very means of salvation that God appointed for him, three times he mimics those days and he asks God to die. Jonah was unwilling to die to his selfish sin and so his selfish sin led him to prefer death over life. Jonah was created. We are all created for life with God. Some of you know, what is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But what was true of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and what was true of Jonah is still true of us. The wages of sin is death. And sometimes our sin can be so self-consuming that we cannot look up and we cannot look out unto God to see God for who He is, to enjoy God for who He is. And in our sinful despair, it may lead us to think like Jonah that surely it is better to die. The remedy for disdain toward God and the remedy for despairing sin is to devote ourselves to the very grace of God that's shown to us in Jonah chapter 4. God's response to Jonah's disdain is sovereign grace. It's grace upon grace. It's been grace throughout the entire book of Jonah. He came to Jonah in chapter 1 in word. He pursued Jonah even as Jonah fled. He saved Jonah through judgment. He came to Jonah a second time in his word. And he used Jonah's preaching as a conduit of his mercy. And in it all, God is, as Jonah says He is, in verse 3, He is a gracious God. He is a merciful God. He is slow to anger, beloved. He is abounding in steadfast love and He relents from disaster. This is who God is. He is God in His sovereign grace. And so friend, friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I would ask simply, do you know your selfish sin? Do you know yourself to be a sinner? Do you know your need for a Savior? Friend, do you know the grace of God? The grace of God is available to you and to anyone in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. If only you would turn away, you would die to your selfish sin and live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's grace to you. 
And brothers and sisters in Christ, I would simply ask you, do you see yourself in Jonah? To be a Christian does not mean that we are sinless. We can all testify to that. I'm glad I didn't get any loud amens. Surely we can be self-righteous. Surely we can be self-centered. Surely we can be self-defeating. Loved ones, we need God's grace, not just at the beginning of the Christian life, but for every single step along the path of this life, following after the Lord Jesus Christ until he brings us all the way home. We need God's grace every minute and every hour. And that is exactly what God teaches Jonah and teaches us in verses 7 through 11. God gives Jonah shade that he did not work for, that he did not deserve. And therein is a mini parable within the narrative about God's sovereignty in that. God asked Jonah here in this text, after God had been so gracious to him throughout all of Jonah, God asks Jonah simply, Jonah, should I not pity Nineveh? Should I not be gracious to these people who do not know their right hand from their left? Which is simply a way of saying that they're lost and fumbling around in the dark as anyone in their sin would be. They're under God's judgment. And God simply asks His prophet, who can confess right theology, but can't seem to walk in right uh, obedience, He simply asks Jonah, should I not pity Nineveh? And this rhetorical question, you know, Jonah ends in a very awkward way, right? Should I not pity Nineveh and these 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left hand and a lot of cattle? God is even concerned about his creation, the cattle. It's a greater to the least kind of argument. It's a rhetorical question at the end of the book. It doesn't, the book does not answer for us. It's meant to leave us, the reader, saying, yes. Of course, of course, God, you should pity Nineveh. And even more than that, oh God, pity us, pity us. And so there's no answer given to us in Jonah chapter four. But this question is answered for us. It's answered for us in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, when Jesus Christ stood before Pharisees, not unlike Jonah, these Pharisees who demanded a sign from him, and Jesus Christ said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of that great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Loved ones, someone greater than Jonah has come. The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ obeyed every one of God's commands. He went when the Father said, go. And yet, Jesus was thrown into the raging sea of God's wrath on the cross. Jesus spent three days in the belly of the earth dead and buried. And yet, the Lord Jesus was raised to life again. 
Jesus preaches even now repentance and faith to us, to us Ninevites. And the only right response to this merciful and gracious Savior is our trust and our gratitude, our obedience and our full devotion. We owe Jesus our obedience because He is the Word of God made flesh. We owe Him our gratitude for salvation belongs to Him and to Him alone. We owe Him our repentance and our faith because He is our only hope in life and in death. We owe Jesus Christ our full devotion because He is the fullness of God's grace to us, brothers and sisters. The only answer to your disobedience to God the Creator is the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only answer to your disability to save yourself from the just judgment of God is the substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only answer to your disbelief, your unbelief in the promises of God is the faithful purchase of repentance and faith and of faith itself in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only answer to your disdain of the immortal, invisible, only wise God is the incarnate life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so friends, will God pity Nineveh? Will God pity you? Will God pity us? The answer is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. The book of Jonah, it is a book full of mystery and enigma. A book full of glory and of grace. It's an historical parable showing us the depth of our sin and the amazing grace of God that leads us to faith in Jesus Christ. And my hope, my hope is that as we studied the book of Jonah this summer, that it has reminded us that our only comfort in life and in death is that we are not our own, but we belong body and soul in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. My hope is that the book of Jonah has reminded us that Jesus has fully paid for all our sins with his precious blood, that he has set us free from all the power of the devil, that Jesus preserves us in such a way that without the will of our heavenly father, not a single hair from our head can fall. And indeed, all things must work together for our salvation. And it's my hope that the book of Jonah has reminded us that by His Holy Spirit, He assures us of eternal life and He makes us ready and willing from the heart from now on to live for Him and Him alone. Let us not be like Jonah, but let us be and follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank You that the Lord Jesus Christ is faithful. We thank you for Jonah and his example to us throughout the book of the ups and downs of the Christian life, our disobedience, your grace, your sovereign providence, our need for gratitude. And God, I pray that we would be a people who are full of your spirit, walking in love and joy and peace and patience in goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and in self-control. Oh God in heaven, we pray and we thank you for Jesus Christ, who is greater than all that we could ask or think, who will be with us until we are with him in glory. And so we pray that you would bless us and keep us now. 
for Jesus' sake. Amen.